Leon, Doug Fields. Well, thank you. Well, hi, everybody. It's good to see you. Hey, raise your hand if you've ever been a fool with your mouth. Let me see. All right, raise your hand if you're sitting next to somebody who should have raised their hand and didn't. Let me see. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, with my life, I think of things, I'm a little witty, a little sarcastic, a little quick-witted, and my self-control fiber <laughs> is not real well-developed. So oftentimes, I'll say things that I, I shouldn't, like daily. And uh, as a matter of fact, I've done some medical research on what a self-control fiber looks like, and I have a, a picture of that. That's a self-control fiber, yours. Mine is this one right here. That's mine, all right? So I remember when one of my kids was in um, kindergarten, I went to help out on Mondays because that was my day off. And because I was the only dad in the whole kindergarten class, they gave me the math table, which I don't know why I got the math table. It really wasn't even math. It was like dumb math. It was blocks. There was a bunch of blocks there. But I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my uh, duty. And this one girl at the table, her name is Nicole, very, very bossy, just this bossy, bossy little kindergarten girl. And so I felt like it was my um, responsibility as the adult at the table to tell little Nicole that she was bossy. So I said, Nicole, um, if you always boss people around, you won't have any friends. <laughs> and she says, my mom says I have a lot of friends. And I said, right, I get that. That's not what I'm talking about, is that if you continue in your bossy behavior, you won't have any friends. And no one wants to be friendless, right? And then I look at her, and over her head, I see my wife just glaring at me. <laughs> and my wife does one of these, okay? Because she was like the room mom in charge. And so I get up, and I immediately feel shamed. I'm going back to like elementary school, and my teacher, Mrs. Lelchuk, would catch me doing something wrong, and then do this, like, you know, a check mark, like that's one. And with Mrs. Lelchuk, I always went to two because as soon as she said, check, the bottom of her bicep would just like, wow, wow, it was just this, this huge wiggly bicep, which made me laugh. And then I would get two right away. And so I was kind of like in that zone, like, oh, my wife's going to give me a, uh, you know, a check mark. And she said, were you just arguing with a five-year-old girl? And I said, well, I'd hardly call it an argument. I mean, we just, we had two different trains of thought, and Nicole has the logic of a goldfish. I mean, he said, and uh, then I don't remember exactly what Kathy said to me, but I know it wasn't nice. And, uh, you know, something to the effect that I was, you know, dumb to argue with a, you know, five-year-old, but I thought it was dumb that they would do math with blocks. But anyway, I, I tell you that because it doesn't matter what age of people I'm around. Words that come out of my mouth oftentimes, um, well, the Bible has a descriptor for that. It's up on the screen in Proverbs 17. It says this, even fools are thought to be wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. 
<laughs> Some of us in here, and if you're going to get a tattoo, get that. All right, we need to hang on to that. See, the, the whole idea of words, track with me, the whole idea of words is that the words come out of our mouth, they are an expression of what we're thinking and or feeling. And since no one in here is a mind reader, even though those of you who are married, you want your spouse to be a mind reader, they're not known of us in your mind reader, we actually need to use words to propel our feelings and thoughts. Now, when it comes to the spiritual domain of our lives, the Bible is often referred to as God's what? Word. Okay, in God's word, if you're in God's word, you're going to be drawn to who God is. And God, in his wisdom, actually used Jesus to teach us what God is like. So up on the screen, look at this verse in John 1, verse 14. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. Word, capital W. Some of your Bibles, it'll be in parentheses next to it to help you out a little bit, is Jesus. Okay, This is an awesome description of Jesus, that Jesus is called the word. Why? Because he gives expression to who God is. In Colossians chapter 1, it says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I love this. So what this means is that when you look at Jesus, you see who? God. Yeah. So those of you who are, you're, maybe you're here and you're not spiritual, you've been invited, you've been forced, you're dating someone, they made you come here, whatever it is, you're kind of going, you know, if God does exist, I wonder what he's like. Great question. Look at Jesus. Because if you look at Jesus, you'll see what God is like. If you're undecided in your spiritual journey and you're kind of curious and you've got questions and you're investigating and you say, I want to investigate God, great, look at Jesus. Or you're here saying, Doug, you know, I'm a follower of his, but I want to draw closer to him. Fabulous. If that is true, you look at the words of Jesus. You know that just by reading the words of Jesus, you can draw closer to him? Over the years, I, you know, because I've been in this community for many, many years and spoken to thousands and thousands and thousands of people lots of times, people come up to me, whether it's Spectrum, it doesn't matter where it is, restaurants, and they just start talking to me. And they'll go into stories and tell me things about their life. And they're like, who are you? Okay, because they, they never introduce themselves because they think they know me because they've heard my what? Words. Okay? Just because they've heard my words, they think we have a relationship, which is great. I love that. But go into a spiritual realm for a second. When you hear God's words, when you read God's words, when you take God's words in, you're drawn more intimate to who God is. All right, now the story arc of Scripture teaches us this. That God loves humanity. That's you. God loves humanity so much that he came to us. That's big. Okay, think about it. God loved you, you, so much that he came to us. I wouldn't walk across the street if Nicole was on fire. All right? No, I'm just kidding. I, I probably would. I just, <laughs> I'd walk slowly. But here's the deal. It is God, God becoming human is really a declaration of, of love, to express his love to you. And by the way, a little aside here, you know, the big debate in non-religious circles, agnostic, atheist, is not over the humanity of Jesus. That's not what people are debating. 
Okay, you don't, you know, very, very small, few people debate whether Jesus existed. We have too much evidence. Extra biblical sources, scholars, experts say that he did. That's not the debate, the humanity of Jesus. What is the debate is whether Jesus was who he said he was, God. Okay, the big, the big one that sends everybody into a tizzy is the resurrection. And that's what Jeff's going to have to explain next week. They save that for the real pastors, okay? You know... (laughs) The fake pastors this week, today, we get, we get Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the week before Easter. That's why all these kids came down with palms. It's not like their you know, parents were gardeners. Uh, you know, they came down here because it's Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday com- commemorates what's called Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you want to read it on your own. There's only two events that happen in all four Gospels. This is one of them. And it must have been just this incredible parade of sorts where Jesus is coming through. And what they're doing is they're putting palms on the ground, this big fanfare for Jesus, this parade. Just imagine that the Messiah is here. And by the way, it wasn't a surprise to Jesus that this was going to happen. It actually wasn't even a surprise to the the Jews during that time because for hundreds and hundreds of years, there had been what is called messianic prophecy, meaning a prophecy that the Messiah would soon come. And all of a sudden now the Jews are excited, like, here is our Messiah. Okay, if you look in the Old Testament in Zechariah 9, this is 500 years before Jesus even enters the scene. Look what it says. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Israel. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Little juxtaposition there. See, in Eastern tradition, the donkey was a symbol of peace. Whereas a horse was a symbol of war. And what the Jews wanted at that time is they wanted their Messiah to ride into town on a horse, declaring war on the Roman oppression. They'd been prophesied a Messiah for so many years, and they're thinking, here is our Messiah, he's going to come on a horse. But Jesus doesn't come into town on a horse, claiming that he's the king of war, but on a donkey, shouting that he's the prince of peace. See, and the branches that were laid down, branches during that ancient Near Eastern time, were a symbol of triumph and victory. And what you would do, what was customary, is to cover the path of somebody who was worthy of honor. So if somebody was worthy of honor, you would cover their path. So like when Jeff visits my house, he likes me to do that for him. Uh, you know, and so we have to lay branches out and he, you know, walks on. It's kind of an ego thing, but, uh, you know, anyway. So, you know, these people were there, they're cheering for a Messiah, a ruler. They wanted salvation and Jesus delivered salvation. Just not the salvation that they were looking for. So here is the text where we get one snapshot of Palm Sunday. Matthew 21, it says, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, meaning Jesus. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them along the road. Again, branches, symbol of triumph and victory. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, 
Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. They were actually repeating psalms. All of those are Old Testament psalms. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. When Jeff asked me to speak on Palm Sunday, I began to read all of the different texts. And I begin as I do any time. I go, God, you love these people more than I do. Especially if Nicole's here. And, uh, you know, what do you want to say to them through your words? And, you know, and so I just take out, I have a journal. And I just take out the journal and I read the scriptures. I begin writing things and ideas. And how can I communicate this in a, in a way that makes you want to listen? And that actually could, might bring some life change to you. And actually what I came back to was a very simple little phrase. It's simple but compelling. The last part of this verse, go ahead and put that up on the screen again. Entire city of Jerusalem, or he, entire city, it should be the, and that's a typo on ours, not in the Bible. Uh, The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered, who is this? And I just kept coming back to who is this? I mean, we're one week before Easter. You know, next week, church attendance all over the world is going to spike at an all-time high. People all over the world are going to be celebrating Easter. But why? Out of tradition? Out of curiosity? Out of obligation? Why? As you lean into Easter, as you prepare your heart, as we aim our heart today for Easter where we celebrate the resurrection, there's the question that I want you to think about. Actually, that's your homework this week. And, you know, (laughs) who doesn't love homework? Uh, You know, who is this? Who is this Jesus? Now, I already did the homework this week. I actually just made a, a list. If I was in that parade route and I was cheering on the Messiah and somebody pulled me aside and said, why? Why are you cheering him on? Why did you drive a stake in the ground when you were in ninth grade and redirect the course of your life to follow the person and teachings of Jesus? Most of your friends and classmates didn't go that way, but for 35 years, Doug, you have been walking after Jesus. Why? Who is Jesus? And I want to share with you maybe a little autobiographical out of my own journal I came up with a list of 11, but I've got time to share four with you. Here's four that I think might maybe inspire you to think a little bit. First is this. Jesus is someone who identifies with my weaknesses. You see, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was 100% human, and he was 100% God. And the 100% human can identify with me and you. See, simply put is this. Jesus gets me, Jesus understands, and being understood is a really powerful thing. Jeff and I, during the week, we're involved in a cult. Um, (laughs) This cult is called CrossFit. And I don't know if you've heard of CrossFit or not, but for the last, there's a five-week period of time during the spring season where they call it the CrossFit Open. And 300,000 people all over the world do the same exercises every week. Thursday at 5 o'clock, they release an exercise. 
So the first one was 16.1 for 2016. The next Thursday, 16.2, 16.3. Same workout for everybody all over the world. And here's the deal about this. No matter where you go, yesterday I was in Las Vegas, I see a guy with a CrossFit shirt on, we had an immediate connection. I go, hey, how'd you do on 16.4? Because you do do crazy stuff. I mean, you're lifting stuff, you're throwing stuff, upside down, handstand push-ups. I mean, wacky, weird stuff that everybody in the world is either trying. And here's the deal. Everybody is doing it. They're talking the same language, and they're rallying around it. So you can go to anybody who's in CrossFit and go, how'd you do on that? Were the deadlifts tough? At what point did you throw up? You know, it's all that kind of stuff. And, and, and one of the reasons, Jeff and I have talked about this, that sometimes CrossFit is so much like church because people are cheering everybody on. Why? Because when you get your first pull-up or your, your first double under jump rope or your first handstand push-up, everybody's excited because they used to not be able to do it too. And they understand the journey with. And it's just really, really fun. And there's only one more week left in this five-week series. And I actually, right now, am ahead of Bob Harper of The Biggest Loser, the trainer in The Biggest Loser. I just want to let you know that I'm four places ahead of him in the 50 to 55 age division. I told my daughter that. And she said, oh, I thought he was much younger than you. Yeah, that hurt uh, just a little bit, and she's in church today, and I'm hoping she'll pray for forgiveness. But uh, anyway, so I'm ahead of him, which is very exciting, because, you know, who's the biggest loser now, Bob? Anyway, so that, that illustration is this. We make a connection on a superficial level that we can all identify with. But you and I don't live life on a superficial level. We live deeper than that. And Jesus identifies with every pain, with every temptation, with every struggle, and he can rally around everything that you are going through. Why? Because he's 100% human and 100% God. And next week, we celebrate the fact he was 100% God. But as a result of God becoming human, watch how we can approach him. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. It says this. For we do not have a high priest referring to God. We do not have a God who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Here's the difference. Yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why confidence? Because he gets it. Because he's been there, because he understands, because he knows, so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's what troubles me with some of you and your faith. And it troubles me because it, it's only hurting yourself. Is that for you, God is, God is so out there. I mean, God is so, he's so, so distant and impersonal. And, and you, you actually kind of treat God like the jolly green giant. That if you pray the right prayers or you make the right church attendance or you open your Bible to the right page, all of a sudden God wakes up, you know. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I hear the prayers of a, of a distant one. Hey, friends, he's, he's not distant. He's actually here. And here's this. He gets you, and he cares. He gets you, and he cares. Raise your hand if you have a mobile phone. 
Okay, keep your hand in the air if you love your mobile phone. Okay, see, a lot of you are liars. Okay, you, you dropped your hand, but you do, you actually do love your mobile phone because you stress out when you leave it at places, you take it into the bathroom with you, you sleep near it. Some of you, I mean, you, didn't, you dropped your hand, but you really do love this, this device. Some of you even have the, the little appendage that you put in your ear so you can keep this in a safe place. And for those of you that walk around with the, the, you know, the Bluetooth deal in public, you're a dork, okay? <laughs> Let me just say what everybody's been wanting to say to you, all right? Jeff can't say that because he's the real pastor, uh, and, and I, can, I can say that. Actually, when I see people out in public not using it, just kind of walking around with it in their ear, I actually think, oh, you don't have friends. Okay, because if you did, they would tell you not to, all right? So 2005 has called, take it off, and put it in your fanny pack, all right? <laughs> Those things were never cool. They were never cool, all right? Uh, it, it's, you know, like wearing uh, a belt with sweatpants. No, not cool, okay? It's like wearing Crocs with socks. It's actually like wearing Crocs, okay? You know, <laughs> not, not cool. Now, here's what I'm saying. The person who made this phone for you, the person who crafted the device that you hold on to and you caress and you love and you stress out about and you want to keep fully charged, the person who made this doesn't care about you. There is not a phone technician in China that made it who's sitting there going today, you know, I wonder how phone... 11,643,211 is doing and how the owner is. No, it's not happening. And the reason I tell you that is because some of you treat God like he's a phone technician, that he's impersonal and he doesn't care, that maybe he got it, he got the world spinning, right? He got the world spinning, created, and then he took off, which some of you know that's what a deist believes, right? The Bible teaches something very different, that God in his love for you came here to identify with us, to empathize with us, and to understand us. That God experienced humanity. So yes, he knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to feel anger, to lose a loved one, to face the sting of rejection. So who is this Jesus? He's somebody who understands my pain and your pain. And he's not, we, you know, we can't pray and say, you don't understand. No, he, he does. And that's one of the many things that I love about him. Second thing that Jesus means to me or that I love is Jesus isn't afraid of my my doubts. And I'm not talking about, you know, we all have what I would call normal, everyday doubts. Kathy and I were just talking about this the other night. Uh, Thursday, I spoke in, at, a, at a school in Newport Beach, and it ended about 10 o'clock at night, and then we were driving out to Las Vegas to go to my 21-year-old daughter's uh, volleyball tournament. And we had normal doubts, like, I doubt Doug will stay awake. While he drives, and, you know, I, I doubt 
Um, are, we, are we making the right decision to drive at night? Will our 21-year-old even appreciate the fact that we're there? What if Nicole's there? You know, all, all of this stuff, okay? I'm not talking about everyday doubts. I'm actually talking about doubts connected to our faith. Like, what if the resurrection didn't happen? I mean, what if next week's a total joke? That it's just mythology. What if God did get the world spinning and he took off? I mean, what if God doesn't answer or even hear our, our prayers? And if God is love, why is there so much pain and hurt in our world? Yesterday I got a, a text from a friend. He said, Doug, Mark Thrash here, just wanted you to know, mainly so I can channel into your prayer network, that an avocado-sized malignant cancer tumor was found on my liver a few weeks ago. This guy's younger than me. Doctors are having a hard time finding the origination of the cancer, but it's looking like it may be in my lungs, pancreas, bile ducts, and regional lymph nodes. Kind of sobering. This guy's a pastor in Dallas. He's been at the bedside of many people. He's married and buried. He's faithfully for 25 years served people. Why? Why a, why a good guy like that? You know, some of the doubts that you and I have, they're not easy to answer. But I'll tell you, after following Jesus for about 35 years of my life, I have learned that doubts don't need to be destructive. That some people in the, in the faith community actually believe that doubts point back to what's called soul sickness. That if your soul was together, you wouldn't have doubts. And I don't, I don't believe that. As a matter of fact, I think doubts can actually lead to uh, become a sharpening stone. That they can make your faith stronger. Because God isn't afraid of your doubts. I don't care what doubt you have right now. He's not afraid of it. He's been around forever. He's heard it before. Your doubt right now is not new to him. It's not like, whoa, Billy's doubt caught me off guard. You know, that, that's, not, that's not happening, all right? He can handle your questions. He can handle your anger. He can handle your doubt. So if you're in here and you're, you have doubts about your faith, don't feel guilty about having doubts. Just don't ignore them. I want to show you how Jesus responded to doubt. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and the scriptures tell us up to 500 people. Thomas was not on that first round of disciples. And so in John chapter 20, it says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is the Jerusalem rapper name, uh, Didymus, <laughs> DJ, DJ Didymus, <laughs> I made that up last service, and I caught myself off guard, and I started giggling, and I couldn't, I couldn't recover. I just thought it was so funny. I couldn't continue on. I just, I just was, every once in a while, I go, I make myself laugh. And that one did. Didymus, the Jerusalem rapper, DJ Didymus. Anyway, uh, now Thomas, <laughs> one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put a finger where the nails were and then put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side where the sword had gone into his side. Stop doubting and believe. And at that point, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. See, what I love about this is Jesus doesn't meet his doubt with, you loser. I've been hanging around you for three years. I told you this was going to happen. And you didn't believe it, ye of little faith. No, Jesus meets his doubt and answers him with assurance. But we know him as Doubting Thomas, which doesn't seem fair that he gets that descriptor. None of the other disciples got stuck with a, a descriptor. You know, we don't have an, you know, angry Andrew and uh, silent Simon and pessimistic Peter, or, you know, bashful and sneezy and grumpy. But, you know, poor Thomas, he doubts and he gets labeled that. And yet Jesus meets his doubt and answers him. Now, the next one I'm going to show you is, blows me away. It's the doubts of John. Now, for those of you, let me just give you a little context. If you don't know the Bible very well, that's okay. Here, here's, here's what you need to know about John. John came before Jesus. He was the opening act. He was out preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, claiming the Messiah was coming. He was telling everybody about the Messiah before Jesus even comes onto the scene. He was related to Jesus. He was cousin. He actually is the one that baptized Jesus. How would you like that moniker? I mean, if I baptized Jesus, I'd make a t-shirt out of that. I bapt that'd be my Twitter handle, I baptized Jesus, you know, at uh, Snapchat, the heck out of that event. I would use that anytime I was in an argument with friends. I'd go, oh, but did you baptize Jesus? <laughs> I didn't think so. Okay, so, you know, here's the deal. John has got it going on, all right? Now watch this. John who was in prison, he heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. This is what blows me away. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? I mean, his whole life was pointing to Jesus, and now things weren't going the way he thought they should be going. He's in jail. Doubts are kicking in. I mean, this is, this is John. And he says, hey, find out from Jesus, are you really the real deal or should we keep looking for someone else? And you skip to verse 11. Look what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Oh, my. Then even John doubted and he gets this unbelievable status. None is greater. Friends, who is Jesus? He's one that can handle your doubts. He can handle your doubts. So don't be afraid of them because Jesus isn't. A third response to who is Jesus is Jesus offers power to overcome my struggles. I mean, first he identifies with my weaknesses. Maybe one of my weaknesses is doubting. But then he offers power to overcome 
overcome them. He doesn't just identify with my issues. He actually gives me power. Now, raise your hand if you have, have struggles in life. Let me see. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all have struggles in life. I was talking to a, a person this week. They're going through an issue because they have a newborn, four months old. And he says, just our whole life is thrown off. And if those of you that are parents, you remember the time when the kids were little and all the, all the crying and the feeding and the, and the wiping and the holding and the not sleeping. And then on top of all that, you have to take care of the baby too. You know, so there's all this stuff going on, right? I mean, we all have struggles. Why do we have struggles? Because every one of us is a bundle of strengths and weaknesses. That describes me. I've got a few strengths and a lot of weaknesses. And by the way, everybody here is weird. Okay, if you're married, you married a weirdo. If you're single and you think that you're going to marry a per- no, you're not. You're going to marry a weirdo. And what happens is one weirdo marries another weirdo, and then they have kids who are weirdos. That's just how it works. And because we're weird, we have struggles. So one day, I'm sitting on the toilet, all right, because that's how I go to the bathroom. And um, as I'm sitting in the toilet, I see something that just, just frustrates me about my wife. And I think, she is so weird. And this is what I, I saw, all right? And it was like the 15th time I had seen it. And, I, and really, here's my first response. Really? Are you that busy? Because look how long it would take, okay? Done. Okay, that's how long it takes. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, she is so weird. And then it just hit me. You know, Kathy was not sitting there going, (laughs) this will drive him crazy. No, she's like, if I had to make a list of 100 things about Kathy, 99 would be in the great category. One would be in the weird. Okay, now, more than one, but there's also more than 99 good. What's my point? She's weird. And I married her. And even though I don't think I do things that are weird, she does. She thinks I, like this morning I walked in with a, a Del Taco cup. I have one over there. Uh, um, I drink a lot of, I used to be Diet Coke. I'm off Diet Coke now, and so I drink iced tea, which is like uh, water with sand in it. And so I have to flavor it, so I put a lot of lemon in it and, and then Diet Coke on top to, you know, make it taste good. And, and when I have a, I don't, I'm not a coffee person, but I'm, a, and when I have a, a good iced tea, a good Diet Coke, and I have a good experience with that cup and that straw, I like to keep it, okay? Because I think, oh, I could use it again. And my wife thinks that's weird. Like, she thinks this is, most people don't have this in their house, Okay? That is my house right there. Because here's, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. We have eight other cupboards in the whole house. Our kids have moved out. Just give me one cupboard. I don't, I don't think that's weird. Okay? Okay, so I struggle with cups. But my struggles go a lot deeper as well. 
See, I struggle with selfishness a lot. And part of how I was brought up, I also, um, I've had a many-year battle with insecurity. Is that actually I'm a pretty insecure person. And because of that, I struggle with a false sense of, of pride. But all of my struggles, if we had time, I'd tell you more. But all of my struggles, what I've realized with Jesus, I don't have to be defined by them or dominated by them. See, I'm given hope in them. Because here's one of the craziest things about the faith. And if you haven't embraced this yet or followed it yet or figured it out yet, welcome to a whole new world. Here it is. One of the most mind-blowing truths of Scripture is this. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you to change you from the inside out. And it's totally counterintuitive to how you've been raised and educated. Because you've been raised and educated is that if you want a good life, you got to work hard and you got to solve your own problems. You just got to pick yourself up from the bootstraps and, and march on. But people get to a point in life when they realize, you know what, their own power isn't enough. Their own power isn't enough to change them from the inside out. Their own power isn't enough to, to heal a, a wound, to so, put a marriage together, to defeat a, a health issue, to overcome temptation. Their own power isn't enough. That's why you see people all the time who are powerful people, who have quote-unquote made it in our culture. They've bought the right house, the right cars. They've got the right stuff. To, and then they get to a point where they go, I, there's still this emptiness. It's that God-shaped hole that's waiting for God's power to take over. This scripture isn't in your notes, so you might want to write this down if you want to look this up. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Watch this. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. When will Christ make his home in your hearts? Watch. As you trust in him. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Friends, when Christ makes his home in your heart, he arrives with his power. The same power that defeated death on the cross and allowed Jesus to rise again is the same power that's available to us. And God's power isn't just available. The Bible teaches that God's power is sufficient. We have everything we need for the struggles that come through life. That's who Jesus is. He provides power to overcome those struggles. And finally, is... Who is Jesus? Jesus is worth talking about, celebrating, and following. See, I don't have to cut palm branches to lay them on the ground to express my enthusiasm about Jesus, but I can say this, he is worthy of my praise. That's why we gather together every week in a faith community to celebrate him and to, to praise him. He's worthy of following I've followed him for 35 years of my life, and can I tell you, my life hasn't been easy, but he has never let me down. Okay. 
I've had people say, oh, I like to follow you when you go speak. I like to hear you speak at different places. Okay, but you know what? If you were to follow me, you'd be let down. Because the closer you got to me, you'd see more brokenness. I would let you down. Everyone looks better from a distance, but not Jesus. Jesus will not let you down. I know that that's my testimony. Hundreds of you in here, that's your testimony. Millions, maybe billions before us since the resurrection, that has been their testimony, is that Jesus is worthy of celebrating, he's worthy of following, and he's worthy of actually talking about. And I don't mean just talking about if you have a microphone and you step on a stage and you're a pastor. I mean he's worth talking about if you're sitting where you're sitting. And I'm not asking you to go door to door do you know about Jesus? If you pray these, this prayer and follow these four happy hops to heaven, you'll get there. You know, that's not, you know, don't be weird. Your job, your job is not to convert people. Let me say that again. That's not your job. Your job is not to convert people. Your job is to point people to Jesus. Okay? Those of us, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's given us that light for those of us who are followers. And if you were out camping and somebody was lost in the darkness, you would put light on them. Unless it was Nicole. Right? And, and then, why? And we live in a culture that is dark and people are, people are lost. And so, we shine the light. Okay? I've, kind of the way that Kathy and I have raised our kids is by saying something like this. We follow daily, we celebrate weekly, we serve as opportunities present themselves, repeat. Follow daily, celebrate weekly, serve as opportunities present themselves. One of the ways that you serve other people is to point them in the direction of Jesus. Let's go back to the words that we use. We use our words to indicate what's happening in our life, okay? What happens in our life and what's happening in our life. And for some of us, we've been mute for too long. Your life has been changed. That was a happening in your life. Let somebody know about that. Not in a weird, creepy, religious way, but just in a way that, and you know, Jeff, Jeff gave us this, this card to invite people. You know, next week is one of two weeks when people throughout 52 weeks of the year are most likely to ever come to church, okay? Christmas and Easter. That's when people will accept an invitation. And here's what I've found. Most people want to be invited to something. Jeff wife, Jeff's wife, Amanda, she went to Capitol Valley High School, and she was a cheerleader. And in her words, she kind of got in with the wrong crowd, a little bit of the party crowd. And in that party crowd, she said she would always watch the Christian crowd. And she wanted to be invited to church. She said she went four years at Capo, and no Christian ever invited her to church. And that is just, she told me that years ago, and that has just stuck with me. That people are dying to be invited somewhere. And we have, we have the light. You're not perfect. It's not your job to convert. It's our job to use our words to share what's happening, and what has happened, okay? So Easter, 
If they can't come on Easter, you know, two weeks after Easter, April 10th, I'm going to do, Jeff asked me to do a one-week thing on parenting. And so, you know, you, you have people, friends that have never been to church, but they're parents or coaches or mentors or teaches, teachers. I'm going to talk about what all kids need in a caring adult. We're going to have a gift for them. It's going to be a great weekend. Maybe that's the, the opportunity. But here, here it ultimately comes down to this. Who is he? Who is that guy on the donkey? Was he just a good man or was he the God man? Because if he was the God-man, that requires our response. This is a big week for those of us that have faith. And I pray that you would answer that question, who is this? Jesus, may we be different people when we leave here today than we were when we came. Through the power of your spirit, I pray that you would do a work that only you can do. I don't know the issues and the struggles that are happening in the hearts of the men and women that are here, but you do, and you love them more than I can even imagine. That you loved us so much that you came to us. I pray that we would wrap our arms and our minds and our hearts around what it means to follow you, to celebrate you, to share you with others. Thank you that you take our weaknesses and our doubts and you give us power to overcome those struggles. You are worthy of our praise. And now we spend some time to praise you through song, through being prayed for, through praying. May this be our response to say, we love you back. We pray in your name. Amen. And like we have every week, that we have a prayer team to my left and my right. You know, God's looking for that open door to provide solutions, to provide guidance. And wherever you're at in life, whatever situation you need that, he's looking for that open door. So let's take this time as we worship together. Feel free to stand, to sit. But this is, this is your time as we worship together to pray. But let's, let's spend some time here. We just received a great word from Doug. Now let's just let it sit in and say, God, use those words. Speak to my heart. And what does it look like for you to respond?